In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the great blessings that's been handed down to us is the lectionary, the series of readings that accompany us throughout the church year. The church year itself derives from the Old Testament. The Old Testament people were a, a liturgical people who had a kind of church calendar of sorts, and from this has come our calendar, and from this have come the texts. Why would someone choose to have a church calendar? There's no chapter or verse from the scriptures that says we must. But here's why. The church calendar puts our attention right where it belongs, on Jesus. The first half of the church calendar is all about Jesus from his miraculous conception to his death and resurrection to his glorious ascension. The second half of the church year is all about the teachings of our Lord, from his most elementary and simple teachings all the way to some of his most difficult, including what he has to say about the end of this age. The church year is all about Jesus. You couldn't possibly hope for better, nor ought you throw that out for whatever pastor, some individual pastor thinks you ought to have your focus on that given year. As I said, it is a great blessing, and the lectionary flows forth from that. But there are times in the lectionary and in the text where one wishes we had a little more context, and that's certainly true for our gospel text today, where Jesus begins by casting out the mute demon from the man. But what immediately precedes this event frames it in a way that makes what is going on all the more clear and poignant. Immediately prior to this, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, Which of you, having a son, if he asks for a fish to eat, would instead give him a serpent? Or which of you, having a son, asking for a loaf of bread to eat, would instead give him a scorpion? Obviously, none of you. And if you who are evil, Jesus says, know how to give good gifts, how much more your Father in heaven? How much more will he pour out and give his Holy Spirit to all who ask of him? Christ sets us free to pray to our Father as redeemed and forgiven sinners and to ask our Father to pour out His Holy Spirit upon us. Is there any greater gift than this? And Jesus says, freely ask and you will receive. So then, we see that God desires to give us His Holy Spirit. We remember, too, that our Lord Jesus, at His baptism in the Jordan River, came up out of the waters, and immediately the heavens were torn open, and the Spirit descended upon Him like a dove. And from heaven came the voice of my Father, or the voice of his father, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Having just 
received the Holy Spirit. The Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness to confront the devil. And we see in our text today that he confronts not only the devil, but the demons, yes, all unclean spirits. In other words, what we see then, looking at the full context, is a war between the Holy Spirit and all of the unholy spirits. One of these unholy spirits possesses a man, perverting him and taking away from him that which is essential, his voice. That voice that God gives to man that we might pray to him, speak to God, and proclaim his excellencies to one another. Proclaim the gospel to our neighbor. This mute demon strips this man of this very essential gift. So we see Jesus, who is himself the word made flesh, cannot abide this. He casts out the mute demon, and the man newly set free speaks. The crowd marvels at Jesus' miracle, but we read of others. We read of some who said that it is by the power of demons that he has cast out this demon. It is by the power of Beelzebul that he has cast out this demon. And still others said, well, we won't believe in him until he shows us a sign from heaven. Well, unbelief has always been stupid. And it certainly is in both of these cases. Can you cast out the demons by the prince of demons? Can a house divided against itself stand? Or you would seek for a sign from heaven? You mean other than the one you just saw when the demon was cast out? Jesus is much more patient than we are. Interesting, this use of the language that he uses when they've accused him of being a servant of Beelzebul. Biel, that is Baal, Zubal, prince or ruler. Prince Baal. It was precisely the worship of Prince Baal in the form of the golden calves that divided, that rent asunder the kingdom and house of Israel. Thus Jesus pointing to the very weakness of their theology and their history. And we might add, showing us that he himself is the true Israel. He himself undivided. Now that immediately strikes us as ludicrous because what could possibly be more divided than the Christian church? How many tens of thousands of denominations are there? And yet, this was so even from the beginning. Divided and shattered church, when one looks at the church with human eyes and with human reason. But even from the very beginning, there was a different confession being made. 
that despite what our eyes see and our minds reason, there is in fact one holy Christian church united beneath all the superficial divisions. As St. Paul says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. And as we confess in the creeds, we don't say, I see one holy Christian and apostolic church. We say, I believe precisely because we cannot see. So in Jesus, we finally find unity in him and in his salvation. Jesus says that it is by the finger of God that he has cast out this demon. And by the finger of God, this demon has been cast out, and thus the kingdom, the reign of God, has come upon you, he says. When do we pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us? Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Which is why in Christian piety and Lutheran piety, the Lord's Prayer is almost universally prayed every morning and every evening at minimum. We pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy reign come. How is it that God's kingdom comes? The small catechism teaches, the kingdom of God comes when our Father in heaven gives us His Holy Spirit, that by His grace we would believe His Holy Word and lead godly lives according to it, here in time and there in eternity. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are praying for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us, and we are realizing that we are united with Jesus, united with the Holy Spirit, in opposition ourselves to all the unholy spirits and to all their work and all their ways. Jesus speaks of his assault against the devil in these terms. He likens the devil to a strong man who has a palace and he's sitting there in full armor ready to defend his palace but one who is even stronger still breaks in. How does Christ break in? Is it with raw power and show of force? No. His strength is made perfect in weakness. He enters the strong man's palace to break in as a mere infant lying in a manger. His great weapon is no sword, but merely his word. His apparent defeat, where he himself is bound and put to death, is the very means by which, by his death, he conquers the one who has the power of death. Christ breaks into the strong man's house, Satan's house, and plunders it. What does that mean? Christ has invaded this world 
and he is plundering Satan's treasures. What are those? You. You. In fact, we could liken this sanctuary to a great big sack where Jesus, the thief on the cross, surrounded by two other thieves, is now plundering the house of Satan, gathering us into his sack, and carrying us home to his father's house because it is to his father that we have always belonged. And so also Christ engages us as his people to carry out this very task, to wage war against the unclean spirits, not with power and might, but with strength made perfect in weakness through the preaching of his word. Thus Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. The battleground is people, your soul and mine. Thus Jesus tells of a man who had been set free from an unclean spirit, his, his body, his house, put in right and good order. The spirit goes out. He gets bored. He gets uncomfy. He says, I think I'm going to go back. But this time I'm going to bring seven other more evil with me. And as Jesus tells it, those eight come and, well, they're satanic squatters. They move into the home that does not belong to them. Now what should have been done that they not return? The house was swept clean, was left empty. That's the problem. That house that Jesus cleanses and sweeps clean needs to be filled. By whom? By the Holy Spirit. Filled by the Holy Spirit, there's no room for the satanic fraternity to come and trash the place. Already occupied by the Holy Spirit. Apparently, out of the blue, it's somewhat non-sequitur, this woman shouts, Well, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nursed you. But there's more to this than meets the eye. It's not merely the earliest form of Marian piety, which, to which Jesus responds, no, blessed instead are those who hear the word and keep it. Interesting. But no, she is saying, blessed is the one who has this fleshly connection with you. Blessed is your flesh and blood, your mother. And Jesus says, no, Blessed instead are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Elsewhere he will say, these are my mother and my brother and my sister. In other words, fleshly family versus spiritual family. And it is the spiritual family that matters. So where is it that we acquire this Holy Spirit? Nowhere else than in the waters of holy baptism. Indeed, in just a few moments, we're going to be privileged to have the baptism of June Doran. And here we will see a birth from above, as Jesus says, 
a birth of water and spirit. And little June will become the house possessed by the Holy Spirit. With her, we will do a twofold thing that goes back to the very earliest days of the church. We will renounce Satan and all his works and all his ways, and we will confess our faith in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, there is no neutral ground. You either belong to the unclean spirits or to the Holy Spirit. And here in the waters of holy baptism, the Holy Spirit has claimed you as his own. And he directs your eyes to the cross of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus himself says, he takes the things that are mine and declares them unto you. The perfect and sinless conception of Jesus and infancy of Jesus is yours because you have been baptized into Christ. His perfect and obedient childhood, his sinless and unstained teenage years are yours because you have been baptized into Christ. His obedience, even in the face of man's hatred, man's abandonment, his loving obedience to his Father, even as the scourges fell upon his innocent back, this is yours because you have been baptized into Christ. His sinless death by which he prayed for the forgiveness of those who crucified him, by which he commended himself into the hands of the Father even as he forsook him. This perfect fulfillment of God's holy law, this perfect telos and completion of what it is to be a human being is yours because you are baptized into Christ. Your sins don't possess you. This world does not possess you. The unholy spirits do not possess you. You belong to the Holy Spirit. You belong to Christ, who forgives you all your sins. Christ, who is greater than the world. Christ, who has crushed the devil under his heel. You belong to the Heavenly Father now and always. So then, take up the full armor of your God and Father and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and fight in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.